Parker Balvin's here on the Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance in the program. This is fortnightly appearance. The former Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and also author of Big Data Baseball, a real book. Currently, he's a contributor to Fangraphs.com. It is the prolific Travis Sotrick. Travis Sotrick is the guest, and as he does every two weeks on this program, Travis Sotrick joins us from a glade, a forest glade near his house. What does he talk about? Of particular note this week is what I mean to say. Of particular note this week, the politics of local Little League baseball, the power and the struggle, the power struggle of local Little League baseball, attempted to curate the brooding interests of Travis's son, perhaps an uphill battle. But mostly what we discuss is Travis's world championship title in the Hardball Dynasty League, in which he competes with a number of other baseball writers. Does the BBWAA, BBWAA League for Hardball Dynasty and Travis Hotchick and his Montreal Sacre Bleu have won a, a championship de monde. They are, they are champ, les champions de monde, probably is how uh, one would say it if one were attempting to speak French poorly. In any case, uh, Travis talks at some length about that, both about the delights of victory and the agonies of defeat, and also the agonies of victory, it turns out, is a problem. All of that is to come. What I'm going to say just briefly right now is that Fangraphs memberships exist for a reasonable sum. Readers of Fangraphs.com and listeners of Fangraphs Audio can support the great work that appears at that site. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, those same readers and those same listeners can acquire an ad-free membership, which allows one to browse Fangraphs.com without the burden of banner ads, facilitating faster loading speeds and also liberating one from the tyranny and the distortive effects of advertisement. In any case, with that advertisement having been completed, let us now turn to our conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Travis Sochik, the prolific Travis Sochik. And when does it begin? Right now. I just wanted <laughs> <laughs> the just expectation wanted is <laughs> yeah uh, immediate mm-hmm. uh, but I or, I can already sense that the that this is uh, we already have one of my great pleasures uh, one of one of the features of a, of a conversation with Travis Sotrick is already present which is uh, the beautiful sound <laughs> of your yard I know it's a uh, there's no through street, so mm-hmm. there's not a lot of traffic. We have you, what do you got back, what do you get back a, there? You got some cedar wax wings? There, there's a cardinal in the backyard, and I can't tell. Uh, I guess you're hearing the, the calls of a bird. I'm not sure what the, the species is. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we have a wooded tree line in the back, and, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's quite wonderful. You got any shrubs <laughs> back there? We have a lot of myrtle, and then there's a fence, and then there's kind of the uh, the scrub of the of the woods. I don't know what myrtle looks like here. Let me see. Wait, like, well, you say it like you're quite familiar with it. How do you know all about myrtle? Uh, we've always my parents have had a lot of myrtle. We have myrtle. I've been exposed to myrtle for years, so <laughs> I'm just. Uh, there's various types of myrtle. This is probably the, 
the least attractive. It's more of a ground covering, I believe. I could be wrong, but did you are you did you plant that myrtle or did someone else plant it? Uh no, it was with the the property when we purchased it. Okay. But you were fine with the choice. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice ground covering. Have you amended any any of the yard? We have added some hosta. Actually, my wife has added hosta. We have a small herb garden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have an, nothing dramatic. Sure. Yeah. Hostas are uh, hostas are very popular where I live as well. Of course, they, and uh, of course they can grow well in shade, which is one of their. Yes. The deer eat them. That is, is that right? They they love hosta. But we had a uh, we had a culling. It used to be a real. We used to have tons of deer everywhere. But there was a, uh, I guess there was a program put in place, and a lot of those deer are now missing, <laughs> not accounted for. They're, they're, oh no, so it's sort of like a Argentina, late nineteen seventies. Yeah, I don't ask questions, Carson. Yeah, it <laughs> sounds, sounds like you're complicit. Gone. Is what it is, though. I was, I was among the the quiet, and I guess I am complicit. I did mm-hmm. not speak up. Mm-hmm. You're too busy with your trinkets and your toys. <laughs> Is that right, Travis? <laughs> I have a lot on my plate. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, do, I, I have. Uh, I do not know the whole scoop when it comes to deer. You know, uh, I do not know the whole story. However, <clears throat> I have. Um, it has recently come to my attention, although I might have known it um, sort of passively before. Is that uh, deer? frequently carry ticks yes is uh, one problem with them and uh one trouble with them and of course uh well uh, at least where where i live we are currently in the midst of i guess what they say is quite a bad tick season although to be honest i've seen no more or no few really ticks than usual we saw we saw a couple on our dog we took them off it's a great fear in western pennsylvania too is it is that the greatest what's the greatest if you rank if you were to rank threats Natural threats, and I'm not, and I don't mean in a sort of um, like in a hazy future. I mean right. something that could appear, you know, within the next calendar year. What do you What do you think are the biggest threats of living there? Well, we, we have a unusual type of insurance we take out uh, a mm-hmm. mining uh, to protect in the event because there's a lot of old coal mines that run under the hills of Pittsburgh, and sure. Uh, Apparently, they've run under our property here nearby, and there have been issues with, I guess, maybe an old uh, mine collapses or something happens, and it can wreck have a kind of property. Uh, so we have a insurance in case, I guess, our house <laughs> fell into the earth one day. Fell into the earth, right. Yeah, we're covered for that. I um, do recall, and I, I'm not going to remember the town, but there there is what I believe is either a radio lab... Or this American Life story about a certain town in Pennsylvania, I believe, that was just was constantly burning. But <laughs> below below the surface was on fire for decades. Wow! Uh, yeah. yeah, it was just a perpetual mine fire, and uh, there were just certain places you didn't walk in town. And then I think the fire went; um, it stopped being so underground. Like you know, like kind of like how you know, like how the Talking Heads and Blondie emerged from just they were just a club band and underground underground club bands in the late <laughs> seventies and early eighties. Um, 
um, right around the time that everyone was disappearing from Argentina, <laughs> and then uh, then they you know they got they got very popular throughout the eighties and nineties or you know at least the eighties, something like that. This, that's what happened to this mine fire. And I might be mischaracterizing this. I want to be clear about that. But the way I remember it is that there was a fire burning underground, and then that it was burning above ground. Oh wow! Yeah, like a kid like fell in, like it, you know. Like I, he ended up being okay, but people were like, "Oh, well, that's not good." Oh wow! And yeah, I so think... this is a very real, a very real fear. I mm-hmm. the ground could literally give way. A hellfire yeah. could come up and engulf us at any moment. Now, do you think there's is there fire below your home, or do you, do you think there's just is there just a vein or like some sort of tunnel that has been carved out? <laughs> Hopefully, just a well-supported tunnel. Okay. Uh, yeah. Have you ever thought about? Trying to find the nearest um, mine shaft near you and investigate, <laughs> or, do you, or do you think that maybe yeah, some neighbor I, children have ever attempted to do that? I'd be curious to, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Do we really rest upon one? Are there there must be records of this, right? You just don't haphazardly create a mine under. There must be some sort of uh, detailing and record keeping of of mines. So yeah, it would be interesting. Maybe. Uh, could become a sort of tourist industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe. Now, how old is Sam now? Sam is two and a half. Okay, so two and a half. So he's, yeah. so he's probably got a couple years before this becomes a reality. But a great great school project would be to learn about the mines. <laughs> it would be. It, yeah. yeah. That would be a great school project. Here's our, uh, here's our legacy. <laughs> here's a legacy of this area in which I grew up. Now, did, wait, I forget. So you didn't. You 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 didn't grow up very very far away. Um, you grew up in Ohio, but you're not you're not a you didn't grow up in Pittsburgh. Did you did your wife grow up in Pittsburgh? No, she was uh, an army kid, so she oh. lived all over the place. I guess Georgia. She would that's where she was born and went to high, and then returned to go to high school and college. Mm-hmm. UGA. Uh, oh, she's a dog. She's a dog. Oh, yeah, a Georgia Bulldog. Yeah. yeah. Um, Athens is a great college town. It is. Have but that's ever, not, Have I, you visited? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah, but I'm not I'm not here to talk to you about, about that. <laughs> I know, the reason I wanted that information was uh, for this, is that what's happening now, yeah, is both you and your wife, you are raising your child uh, in a place where uh, to which neither of you are native, right? Correct. And so – and, and – I would say that that might have particular significance or meaning in a place like Pittsburgh where there is a a pretty strong regional identity. That's fair to say, right? Strong regional identity? Yes, it's it's not a transient place like Atlanta or Miami or uh, even it's not a metropolitan area like New York. So, yeah, there's a lot of diehard Steeler fans and yeah. people of that ilk who, been, who love Pittsburgh, have never left and – yeah, and so so, so you're so you, it's an interesting situation with your face. Now I'm faced with something similar. Neither my wife nor I are from our uh, adorable uh, main village where we currently reside, but uh, we will raise our child here, presumably presuming if he's born. Um, yeah, ever. when is when is the due date? Uh, July twenty sixth. Wow, so it's pretty soon, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I remember counting down those days. Yeah, it's a weird time. 
it's a weird uh, it's a weird moment in time because up till now this point of course we've never had a child and so we have zero sense of what that's like <clears throat> and then you think well there've been moments in my life when I've thought about a time that's a month in the future and then that month evaporates very quickly you know yes that's ha- that happens all the time but in this particular case when that month evaporates at the end of it uh, life will be very different it's true yeah. And then it will be, I guess, until until someone dies, whether it's me or the child. <laughs> you don't. Well, you still have years. To, to, you'll be fine. You're yeah, going to enjoy yeah. this. But I, I remember the anxiety I had. So, but you'll get through it. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I, uh, all of my anxieties are uh, related to the child's like material health. Like, yeah. is uh, is he eating? That sort of thing. No, I have no psychological uh, worries. Oh, good, good. Yeah, sounds like you're in a good place. Because I'm resigned to the fact that it's this kid's going to be going to you know therapy and blaming <laughs> us for whatever. Well, hey, the sooner you come to grips with that, yeah, the better. The better. Uh, okay, so here's the thing, though. So, uh, have you? Do you think? Or have you encountered so far? Or do you think you will encounter challenges to? Or maybe you'll have a particular insight uh, but, um, while raising your child in a place uh, f- uh, from which neither of you hail. I, I think there there would be some challenges, I suppose. But uh, I think, like if Sam is native to this area and we, he went through the school K through twelve, he would be. A local for the most part, right? Yeah. He would be in, he'd be ingrained in that culture. He would be a Penguins, Stillers fan, mm-hmm. or if he was not into, you know, I guess he wouldn't be if he had no interest. But assuming he's like most uh, teenage boys here, that's what he would become to associate with. So do you do you, do you think that that if... could be tough for me? As I I'm very anti. Uh, I am no fan of the of the Pittsburgh Steelers, so there do could be a house divided someday. <laughs> I wonder, and of course, the, I mean, objectively, this information exists, although attempting to extract it from the world might be difficult. Say that you are born, say a person is born, well, we'll take your situation, a person is born in a city from which neither of his parents hail, uh, I use the male pronoun here just because if it's, I'm going to use that. I say, do you think that that child is more likely to follow the local sports teams or the ones followed by uh, his father, his father, or his mother? Well, I have a neighbor who <laughs> who loves to inform me that Sam will be a Steelers fan if he continues. Well, so there, uh, to so live that's, here. that's he said part the, of it. The peer influence will be much stronger than my influence. And in fact, uh, what? Uh, what I've read from the parenting books, this seems to be something that is true. Is that is really as a parent at a certain point, you have very little sway uh, in the, in so, the kid. We have a few years to get out of here then and, mm-hmm. and relocate. That's your, yeah, that's your that's the important thing. Uh, yeah. So, do, but but if you but if you were to think objectively from what you've observed now, you, now from what you've observed of, of being in the world. If a child is born in a place, his parents are not from there, what 
teams will he adopt? Will he go? Will he adopt his his father's, his mother's? Where are he, his allegiances? It could be other other sort of parentage. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, right, precisely. Or will or will he uh, fall in line with his peers and and the people of his community? What do you think? What, if you had to guess, what do you think is most common? What are the breakdowns? Yeah, I, I think it's probably a strong lean towards peers. You do? Okay. All right. Yeah, that's interesting. Unless you really try to indoctrinate early. And uh, the f- his first baseball game is at Progressive Field, say, mm-hmm. my hometown. And that's the only games he ever goes to. Yeah. <laughs> There's never uh, black and gold on the television. And maybe that creates a sort of imprinting where uh, he'll form allegiances. Well, I think first game game might be important. That's a big memory. Could be huge. Could be huge. Could be huge. But these are relatively – a sports team allegiance relatively trivial. I suspect you're really trying to get at it whether the child could be affected negatively or positively in a more profound way through – (laughs) through <laughs> this idea that his parents are both outsiders in a community. Well, that could be another thing, too. Well, I can, I can also say this. So I know that um, now I grew up in a town called Concord, New Hampshire, and neither of my parents were from Concord, New Hampshire, right? I played – I grew up in a neighborhood called the Heights in Concord, New Hampshire, and the Little League and the Heights. There were four different Little Leagues in town, you know, like for up to, uh, you know, through sixth grade, essentially, baseball. Sure. There were four different Little Leagues, and <clears> – <throat> Uh, we were part of the Northeast Little League, okay? Now, the Heights was a relatively new part of town. And so most of the people who lived there were either from elsewhere or they were from various parts of Concord, okay? So there was no cohesion necessarily. However, I can tell you that um, after I grew up, you know, or mostly grew up, my dad moved, he remarried, and he had uh, two two other children besides me and my, uh, you know, natural sister. And he had two other children. And um, the older one of those, is my brother, Greg, played in the Little League in the South End, okay, the South End of Concord, which is a much older, more uh, firmly established part of Concord, okay? Okay. And the climate was very much different. So while he had, not only had he been a, a assistant coach, coach, and eventually president of the Northeast Little League, he met resistance immediately uh, when he attempted to coach or participate in the South End Little League. Interesting. And while the drafts of players had been, uh, well, I should say, while the managers behaved themselves fairly well in the Concord Northeast Little League, you know? Sure. I mean, they were definitely like, you know, fathers whose kids were friends. But generally, it would be like, oh, this team drafts this player, this team drafts this player. There were many more backroom deals uh, in the South End Little League, from uh, at least how I remember it. And this is because these families had known each other for a lot longer. Yes, and I those sorts of, I guess, political matters of sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you're an outsider, you you will be negatively affected to a degree by by some similar. Uh, what do I want to say? These relationships you're, you're talking about. The, yeah, old, right. the old money of the town. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're an outsider. And, uh, yeah, I'm, if Sam grows up here, if we never leave, uh, he might not be, a, who knows, maybe we don't go to as many block parties or 
<laughs> Do you envision a situation not, where uh, Sam plays Little League and follow-up question where you uh, participate at some level with the team, assistant coach, coach, something like that? General manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's Little League team will have a general manager. At a, a, it'll have a quant and uh, <laughs> a, team, a team psychologist. Uh, what else do we need? <laughs> <laughs> who's going to be your uh, – uh, who's, uh, who's the guy in the, the Pirates who goes between the front office and the players to explain the uh, – yeah, explain it, the, the It was Mike Fitzgerald. Uh, right. He's been – and then, of course, he runs the, the Diamondbacks analytics department now. Uh, they replaced him, and the, the name – I should know this, but the name is escaping me at the moment. That's but, okay. they, but, yeah, there, there's that hybrid role. Uh, right. You need that. Pitching coach, hitting coach. Yeah. There's a lot, of co- a, lot of, a lot that needs to be. <laughs> there's a lot that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, but, yeah, those, that's an example, a real-world example of as an outsider where you can be negatively impacted. Mm-hmm. Now, do you <clears> – <throat> well, maybe it's – I'm sure it's different for you, baseball. Uh, but do, do you have a – do you feel like you have a rooting interest for baseball at this point? Yeah, not not as much. I mean, I would have liked to have seen the Indians win Game 7 last year. Mm-hmm. But I think being a sports writer, writing about the sport, it does strip a lot of the fan away from you. I mean, I'm still, I still like the game. But as far as individual rooting interests, I, don't, I can't explain why exactly in great detail. But... Uh, some of the magic is gone when you go in the clubhouse and it becomes part of your daily routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, still an enjoyable routine, but some of the romanticism and magic is lost. You become less of a fan, or at least I think you probably should if you're trying well, to be you're a, part, And I you're mean, trained to be objective and think, or you're, you're supposed to be as objective as possible in reporting and writing. So uh, I am less you, of a fan than I used to be. Are you partially responsible for manufacturing the, man, the magic as well? Aren't you um, are you essentially a a baseball magician at some <laughs> level? Uh, well, you curate the stories. I mean, think about. Right. I'm trying we to... we are responsible to a degree. We yeah, are to... the we're the middleman who is taking readers behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah. And uh, I don't. I would not be careful what pronoun yeah. you use. You you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, and uh, I have a different role. <laughs> but for example, you did a, like here's a, here's a great here's a piece. You did a you you did a, something on Lester uh, John Lester the uh, some point over the past week or two. Yes, and <clears throat> you actually seem to, of course, the, the, the only narrator. I don't, I don't know how reliable he is or not. The only <laughs> the only narrator is Travis Sachek. There but, there is a tape recording of this conversation. Okay, there's a tape. Oh, oh there's tapes. <laughs> there's I'll tapes. Believe it. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> you proposed to him, right? So he's so as you noted, um, and as he notes in your piece, a number of people come to him and say, you know, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? Essentially, that's the question, right? Yes. And I think I don't remember the precise uh, way you characterized it, but you were essentially like, um, well, isn't really isn't it maybe more correct to say that the story here is. That you're attempting, that, you know, faced with a challenge, you're attempting to find creative ways to solve it. I did propose that. Right, uh, and then that, again, per Travis Sachik, John Lester says, 
something like, what an amazing idea. Or something, it was something like that. <laughs> he said, I like the way you're thinking about this. Or something I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. 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 Or I like where your head's at. I think, I think he said, said, I like where your head's at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, part of that, I was being mostly intellectually honest and proposing that because I, I think it's kind of remarkable that the whole world knows he has this issue where he's probably the last thing in the world he wants to do is throw in a direction other than home plate. And yet he's controlled the running game really well through this. I mean, part of it's his time to home, but it's also the, the credit to Wilson Contreras, uh, not so much Miguel Montero. Uh, yeah. But yeah, they found this creative solution to work around it. And he still has the capacity to go out there with this flaw that it's somewhat embarrassing and limiting. And he performs and... Uh, yeah, so I think it rather than it is an issue, but the way that he's worked around the issue and the Cubs have worked around the issue, I think is a pretty interesting story. Uh, now that was yeah, well, that was, well, that's the thing. Even though it looks it looks bad, right? It looks terrible, but he does. But he, but his uh, but um, runners don't really steal that many bases off of him. Yeah, it's it's a, it's amazing, really. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that is interesting. I think the back pick. The back pick? The, the back the, pick, I think, is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently, Anthony Rizzo has, you know, they have some fancy hand signals, and there's this nonverbal communication going on that is part of it, too. Uh, this was sort of a, a B-plot to the story, because I am fascinated by the idea that how can this professional athlete who can still pitch very well lose this ability to make a simple toss? Well, mm-hmm. Why did Pedro Alvarez lose the ability to make the throw from third base to first base in Pittsburgh when I was a beat writer? That, uh, that, the mental side of the game, that anxiety, the yips, that's a fascinating thing to me. So I well, it's what makes it heart wrenching. Is um, it's such a uh, it's such a very clear manifestation of an anxi- of the the pitfalls of anxiety, right? Yes, because because here is a here is a task, and I think that you, you know you mostly cover this, but here is a task which, you know, even, I mean, in you know, to a, with 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 less physical, um, a less physically impressive way, but like even high school kids, right, can make. The, we we're just talking about little league, like you know, I mean, usually by, you know, for you know, little league where fifth and sixth graders are playing. A ground ball to third, you know, ends ends in and out with some frequency, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> and then you have uh, a collection of players who are the very best at this, and then and who practice it all the time. And then there's something which is occurring, and it has everything to do with their brain, and that's why it's that's why it goes wrong. They're br- they're being sabotaged. And as you note, with regard to Alvarez, like how much could, how much would that cost him? How yeah, much, might, mean, you know, has it probably cost him? It's destroyed his career, you could argue, because yeah. at the, in 2013, uh, this was a former number two overall draft pick, and in 2013, uh, he was a capable third baseman who I, th- I think he finished, he tied Paul Goldschmidt for the NL lead in home runs that year. Uh, looked like he was going to play himself into a very lucrative contract. And then he lost his ability to throw. He didn't really want to play first base, and he was pretty awful there and going forward. And now he's playing in AAA Norfolk, I believe, uh, still for, for the Orioles. He couldn't 
couldn't find a major league contract this year. Um, mm-hmm. He should be in the prime of his career, the tail end of the prime. And yeah, it's uh, it's, um, it's remarkable that uh, whatever you want right. to call so, the condition, the phenomenon leads to this. Right. So he was so last year as an example, right? Um, he he was worth roughly a win in just under 400 plate appearances. Okay, but <clears throat> he um, he lost nine runs uh, due to positional adjustment, and a lot of that's DH. I think I, don't, I forget if he played first base. He must have played some uh, some first base last year, and then he lost an additional two and a half runs or so. So he lost uh, over ten runs on the defensive side, right? Right. And uh, you figure, even if he was a slightly below average third baseman that same period of time, he would have been worth zero runs, right? Well, that would have been another win. He would have been, he would have been worth two wins, in fewer than four hundred plate appearances. That's a, that's a pretty valuable player. Yeah, and that that player is gone because of this, uh, this condition, which is difficult to remedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do. I asked Lester because I thought that I love that Malcolm Gladwell article from like fifteen years ago in the New Yorker where. He speaks to these uh, several psychology experts, and they they explain the yips or, or choking as a condition where the, an automated task becomes unautomated, mm-hmm. and you go from sort of subconsciously acting to really consciously thinking about in baseball where your hand is. Uh, so I, I think that explains it somewhat well. Uh, Lester didn't really think about it that way. <laughs> he he thought if well if it was that simple to articulate, then he should be able to fix it. Uh, and the other and then writing a piece on Alvarez back for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review back in 2014, uh, I spoke to the author of, of Choke, uh, Baylock, I believe was the, the author's last name, and she described the issue. As an automated task becoming unautomated, but also being more about the environment the actor's in than the actor himself. Whereas Alvarez in batting in an empty stadium could throw reasonably well to first base, but once the stadium filled up and the lights came on, then you're really in your head, uh, and that's when it becomes an issue. So I'm sort of sidetracking the conversation a little bit, but uh, I just wonder if if so, if we sort of know now, maybe what's the root co- what are the root causes. Maybe a team with a better way, a better appreciation for the soft sciences, for psychology. Maybe they could have helped Alvarez more. Maybe they could have saved his career. Maybe he would be have a major league contract right now. Uh, but that's it, still a, they're difficult to remedy. Maybe I'm not sure the industry is a great way to deal with, with them and cure them. And I know it's still kind of taboo to, to speak about. I know Alvarez didn't really want to talk about it. The Pirates wouldn't discuss whether he was working with their their team psychologists. So they seem to this issue gets becomes an even bigger issue, I think, when a team treats it differently. Whereas if it was a physical injury, clubs are pretty open about what's going on and time tables right, right, and right. how they're how to fix it. Right. Well it's not um, yeah, there's that sense that, that there's a sort of failure on the individual on the part of the individual if it's uh, mentally related. I'm not yeah. of course I'm not endorsing that point of view, but I'm also I think it's I don't think it's um, uncommon either. Yeah. Like if mm-hmm. I was approaching John Lester to ask him how his uh, how his knee was feeling, <laughs> I don't I don't think he'd really care. But I, I felt sort of like an ass 
approach you know, to ask about this. I'm probably the 1,000th reporter to come up to him and ask him what's wrong with him. So I had to do so in a tactful way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to his credit, he sat there, and I'm, I'm a complete stranger. And he answered my questions, and he talked, you know, he spoke for 10, 15 minutes. And he was, uh, he was, he did so in a rather, rather amicable, amiable way. And, yeah. uh, yeah, it's great. There is a parable, uh, to your point regarding the automatic, um, versus the conscious, I guess. There's a parable, and I don't know, I do not know the origin, but it's a parable of a, of an old man with a long beard who is asked whether he sleeps with his beard um, above the covers or beneath the covers. And he reflects on it, and he does not remember when he's, when he, when he's asked. And he goes to bed that night, and it, he you know, first puts his beard above the covers, and then he puts, them, puts it below the covers, uh, and he doesn't, and neither feels right to him. And so uh, he, he, and then he can never get a good night's sleep after that because he becomes so conscious of it. Yeah. So what do you think of that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's an automated task becoming mm-hmm. unautomated. Become, yeah. Getting in your own head and then disrupting your performance. He could no so you know what you got to do, though? You know what you got to do? You shave off the beard. Shave the beard. Shave the beard. Uh, now you, you're clean shaven. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Okay, hey, let's get to the real. <laughs> let's get to the real story here. Let's get on task, uh, Travis Sachik. I called you earlier today to establish a time for this exact recording, and uh, I believe it. Now, as a uh, native of the Midwest, uh, you are essentially programmed uh, not to gloat. That's fair to say, right? It, it, more, does, it does seem to be a, a value. Uh, right. Runs contrary. It's not, it doesn't come natural. Gloating does not come natural to you. That I think that's fair to say. Yeah. But when I called you, one of the first things you said, you said, do you know, do you, do you know Carson, you're talking to a champion? <laughs> a world champion. Say, world champion. Do you world recall saying, saying something like that? It seems like you do. <laughs> I, right? I, yes, I did say that earlier. Would I, you care to, I boasted. Would you care to... Uh, Announce uh, publicly what you've. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think yeah, because we've discussed Hardball Dynasty on this podcast yeah. before, and I know a lot of people were curious how the season <laughs> concluded. A lot of people were curious. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, I won a decisive Game Seven of the World Series this morning. Uh, that th- happened. It occurred during a three a.m. cycle. Although I was tempted to stay up. Or set an alarm to wake up for the cycle. I, did le- I elected not to, so I I checked my phone. And uh-huh. Actually, I didn't check my phone because I knew there would be text messages from the the group thread. Uh, so I used our iPad to 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 see the box score. <laughs> at what time did you look at that? It was about eight a.m. Uh, oh, you made it to eight a.m. Yeah, but I woke up several times uh, before then, knowing. Uh, that sort of the result was there it was existed. the result was in existence yeah and it, I knew a there was a fate either a terrible one mm-hmm. or one of uh, euphoria that uh, mm-hmm. that awaited and knowing that very uh, there's no gray area there 
uh, knowing that that existed. What well, was this a game seven then? It was. I had a three one okay. lead in the series. Uh, oh man! And I almost yeah, I lost two games. My cl- my closer in the seven p.m. cycle yesterday blew was one out, one out away from a game six victory to clinch the series, and he blew it. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, so I I went the rest of the evening played with that that cloud that prob- that possibility of blowing a three one lead in the series. Now, did the, did the bad taste of the the blown save did that? Do you think that that kind of helped you stay away from a little while? You didn't want to go right back to it. Uh, yeah, I was also sort of I was not optimistic either. Uh, even though you know. The, the idea of the hot hand and uh, momentum has been largely discredited by the, st- the statistical community we are part of. Part of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Even though these fake players don't have uh, emotions, uh, they they're, they're a yeah. code, there's, I guess, a series of ones and zeros. Yeah. I still believe <laughs> <laughs> there's forces working against me and this uh-huh. team and momentum had shifted to the Cleveland Re- Rocks. Uh, owned by Zach Mizell of The Plain Dealer. Now, here's another question. Uh, was it difficult for you... Uh, now, of course, you were playing... You were the, you were a general manager, manager, everything. You're really... You're an invaliable part of the Montreal Sacre Bleu. That was your... That's your franchise. That's, that is correct. Yeah. Uh, did it... Was it difficult at all to play a Cleveland franchise? You know... Uh, because you, you're, you're, of course, you're native, and I'm not. This is not real, real life, of course. But there are, uh, there are elements in place that make it sort of seem like our life. Yeah, I felt a little bit for the Cleveland fan base, and mm-hmm. because Zach has appeared at one of their World Series in this league, and he also lost in the Game Seven. Uh, yeah. I, wow. Yeah, the league was. I think many people are rooting for Zach, especially those that play this game in the Cleveland press box. And it's kind of weird to be as a, as a progressive field earlier this week, and there are, our fake World Series was being played, <laughs> an, an imaginary progressive field, and I was at the real progressive field. So it's kind of it was a dream within a dream. You know, it was strange. Are uh, there um, has has uh, what if sports have they managed to produce a sort of uh, uh, AI generated game game recap? They have not. I mean, there's the play-by-play, but there's yeah. no there's no written recap. Okay, yeah. How do you think if you were to if you were going to write your your pyramid style gamer <laughs> uh, for this game seven victory? Did you, I mean? Do you have a sense of where you'd start, where you'd go? There was a a, a win probability shifting event. Uh, Felipe Franco. Hit a grand slam, I believe, in the fourth inning. And mm-hmm. let's go see. Uh, sixth inning. So I was leading 4-1 to one at the time. And then this kind of a marginal offensive player hit this. He, uh, what did he do? He OPSed 678 for the season. He's more of a, it's a glove first third baseman. Uh, yeah, he hit this. Grand slip. So I'd probably lead with this, with uh, Frank. This, his signing was much maligned in the media. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, was it? <laughs> uh, Calixte was part, and partly acquired because of his offensive struggles. Uh, 
And yeah, well, Calixte, whom we have invoked before, that was the that was the <laughs> the player. There was that was I mean there was a lot of uh, uproar. He, yes, uh, he also, he OPS nine ninety two in the postseason, <laughs> so he turned out to be a pretty important player. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's good. You know, it's kind of good that it wasn't uh, Calixte who hit this grand slam. That's right. A lot of blowback. Right. That could, yeah, that there case. would be a lot of blowback that could have really yeah. worked against me and. Uh, Sort of, it would have threatened the legitimacy of this championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm glad it wasn't Clickstay who was the hero. So you would say, you say something like uh, Felipe Franco almost has, almost lost his job, or nearly lost his job in the middle of the season. Uh, and then you'd say um, he did he did his job he did his job uh, Thursday night. He did his job yes. perfectly Thursday night. And then there night. would be a very descriptive scene of the ball you know sailing above and beyond the left field wall at Olympic Stadium in Montreal and the fans going crazy mm-hmm. Franco doing a Jose Batista kind of bat flip from, from last year's okay, uh, yeah. wild card game yeah so there, then there'd be some description and then Ralph Kulik who is the starting pitcher is 3-0 and for me in the postseason he would, okay. he would not that win loss not that win loss record means much L- but right Although it's certainly not predictive, but the fact that he pitched well in three games and won three games is critical. Another good point. Yes. Hey, Travis. Yes. Another. That's a good point. Yes. Thank you. You. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's. Uh, hopefully, we haven't lost most of your audience in this segment. But no, I wouldn't. I'm not worried about that. I'm worried. I'm. I'm. Uh, I'm. Intrigued, I'm invested in this. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but I have a championship now. That's kind of cool. And uh, Mark Carrig, who covers the Mets for yeah. for Newsday, he yeah. on the message board he made a post of all the current owners who have won championships, and now I'm among that group for for all for as long as I'm in the league. Mm-hmm. There'll be a jacket ceremony. Okay. <laughs> there won't. I wish there was. Uh, yeah. Is there is there anything at stake do you, that you're able to divulge, or just pride? Just pride, and I think I get next season credited. But what I thought was interesting, what we spoke. Well, about, wait, hey, by the way, we mentioned this before. You you were one of like three people who had already upped for the next season. Right. Are you? Oh, and what's really important is are to know is are you going to be a part of this next season? Uh yeah sure. Have you yeah. heard back from the commish? I don't think I have, but it, um, hmm. I've, I sent along your email. Yeah, well, maybe they've decided rightly not to include me. <laughs> maybe I should send you the commissioner's email. I need oh, to yeah. get you two t- in conversation. Well, when is it? Ne- when is we it still necessary? Have, we, have, we still have a few days before you could sign up so okay yeah yeah all right let's not worry let's not worry about it too much i think yeah. i think you know i think that's going to work itself out uh but what i, th- I thought was interesting was the leading mm-hmm. up to this game seven yesterday after that awful game six loss uh when i was in i was quite i was in a dark place i was checked a lot of despair uh i was actually picking up a pizza last night when i read the box i, I stopped in this this I left the pizza parlor and had this you know the flat pizza box and I stopped on the sort of 
plaza, a piazza. Oh, really? You stopped at a, at a piazza with your pizza? <laughs> I did. Okay. And I, I, I read through, and I thought, oh, my God, I have a one-run lead going into the bottom of the ninth. It's going to happen. You're reading along. What, yeah, I'm, re- I'm scrolling with my thumb, and I wonder what, if anyone was studying my my continents, the, my facial uh, ex- expressions during yeah. that period, uh, they saw quite a change in, <laughs> in emotions. And Wait, so you thought you were going to, you were going to win the, you thought you were going to win it right there. I did. Right there in that piazza. Right there at the corner of Washington Road. Let's look it up. Now, is this village pizza? <laughs> pizza Badamo. Uh, uh, yeah, right in uptown Mount Lebanon. Oh, Mount Lebanon. I always go to Mount Pleasant. Is Mount Pleasant where you live or Mount Lebanon? Mount Lebanon. So right at the, at the corner of Washington yeah. Road and Cedar Boulevard. Uh, I paused there. <laughs> Mount Lebanon. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Yeah. A pizza bottom. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Wow. And then uh, and you you thought you won, but you did not win. Yeah, so I, I walked with my pizza back to my car and I went home. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Considering what awaited me. That's tough. And How was the pizza? But I, but I the, the, yeah, the pizza was yeah, New York style. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But what I found interesting is that mm. the uh, the the two possibilities—a win or loss—I uh, feared the loss. Like I felt the sorrow. And the uh, the disappointment, I would have felt that much more deeply than the than the level of joy and happiness. And I think that's true. If I would have lost, you'd be really bothering me today. Mm-hmm. And and I'm, I'm I'd rather win than lose. And I'm you know it, I'm pleased that I won. But I haven't. It hasn't been with me like I think a loss would have been with me. Uh, would have would have stung you. Would have it would have lingered. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. Why aren't those? In equal proportions. Why would I not feel a win like a loss? Help me understand this. Well, you um, let's see. I mean, I mean, wins sometimes. The way you're proposing is just a, it's just a relief, a relief essentially from anxiety. Whereas maybe you regard the uh, I don't know. Maybe you're you know it's uh, maybe all victories are just a, are just really. A, an avoidance of failure, you know. That's what. That's all they are. Yeah. How do you feel about it? Maybe that's it. I mean, I certainly don't want to fail. Certainly don't want to blow a three-one lead. Three-one lead. And it's also the prospect of being so close to a goal and then having to start over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that weighs on you. It tests you, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and, uh, I don't know. It's, you ever been to Stevenson Williams Company? <laughs> I haven't. But you, uh, you've seen it at, from the outside. Yes. It, now, um, what I what I know that, and what you know, many people don't know, is that Stevenson Williams Company features a, um, a, a, a very visible, a very visible signage in downtown Mount Lebanon. <laughs> yeah. It appears they offer uh, definitely insurance, rentals, and mortgage, and one other thing. Oh, sales as well. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow, right next to antiques and estate jewelry. I don't think you've ever been there, is my guess. I have not. Unless you're selling T- off. Take a guess. At where, do you, where do you think I've been? Where do you think okay. I most frequently... Uh, now, this, this Dennis Theater, is that, is that a film theater or, or a dramatic theater? It's supposed to reopen soon as an okay. like, independent film, the artsy theater. Okay, right. Now, now if I'm here at Stevenson Williams, am I basically right in the middle of things? You are. Okay. What's next to it? Is the Jade Grill. I don't think you've been to the Jade Grill. Maybe once when you first uh, moved there, no, but that's I've, it. I've been to the Jade Grill several times. Oh, you have? Do you go in to eat or do you do takeout? I've... Uh, I've I've done both, mm-hmm. and I find I usually like to dine in. I like it's to, a, it's like an old bank location. It huh? is an old bank, hmm. and it's now kind of an Asian fusion restaurant. Now, Massage Envy, isn't that? I mean, some of the greatest, some of the great. Uh, there's a great uh, old church, uh, cathedral almost in Pittsburgh. That's now a brewery. This mm-hmm. bank is now an Asian fusion restaurant. I mean, yeah. some of the great architectural. Uh, productions in many cities yeah. are now just restaurants and bars. Now, how about Mineo's Pizza House? You ever been there? I have mostly takeout. Uh, and why did you choose Pizza Bottomo or uh, whatever? I, I just I, I prefer it's a thinner crust and dough. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a there's greater sauce and cheese to dough ratio. Okay. Yeah. Sesame Inn. I don't know what that is. Is it some sort of is it? Uh, it's restaurant? Your, yeah, it's a Chinese Amer- uh, Chinese restaurant. I don't think you've been down. I don't think you've been there. I've been there. Uptown Coffee, you've definitely a, been there. Oh, yeah. Sam is very popular at Uptown Coffee. Adorable Mount Lebanon Floral, which is sort of like a Tudor-style building. <laughs> um, this seems to have some... I don't know when this was taken. It has some yellow flowers hanging from it. I was going to say they're forsythia of some sort, but... Uh, maybe they're golden rods that have been cut. You have this sort of golden rods. This is from September 2016. The Fabric Place. I don't think you've been in the Fabric I've Place. I've never been in the Fabric Place. What is it? Alberta Modern Bar? Modern Hair. Modern That's, Hair, yes. You don't get your hair cut there. I do, do not. I, I get $15 haircuts at Supercuts. Oh, you do, huh? Yeah. I've had a few. You've given up, aren't you, Travis? <laughs> I have. There was a time when I was single where I would occasionally yeah. get a more expensive haircut. Uh, but, but now to, you say, what's the point? But to me, the replacement level haircut is good enough. And, yeah. yeah. And well, what is, I mean, what is the you point? know, you, I've seen your face before too, so you're not working right. with a lot of raw material. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so yeah, why? This is not where to invest. No, no, no. It's a good yeah. point. Yeah, maybe invest in your ch- in the children. <laughs> little Tokyo? Okay, sure. I've been. To, it seemed to have done all the other Asian restaurants. I bet you've been to Little Tokyo. I have. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Ooh, the saloon. I bet you've gotten a drink at the saloon. Oh, I've had a drink or two at the saloon. Yeah, you have. I will take. If you ever make your way to, to Mount Lebanon, I'll take you to the saloon. Is that the number one uh, place to visit for for adult uh, adult fun? In the uh, I think so. it's been open. It's celebrated its fortieth year of operation last okay. year. So it is. It's sort of like a Cheers. It's the Cheers yeah. of Mount Lebanon. Oh, look. Here's your LRT station right here. What is that? Light. What does that mean? LRT. Light rail. You would that assume doesn't... light rail. Yeah. LRT Light station. rail transit? Well, you, do you, you take that, I assume, right? I have occasion. I do occasionally uh, 
You can take it right to the ballpark. Right. It's about a 30-minute commute. Oh, that's pretty good. That's not too bad, yeah. Uh, now, there's a strange... A little, l- it's more efficient. If you, have a, if you have a parking pass, it's probably time efficient to, to drive. But there's something nice about taking the train to the ballpark. Yeah. Well, plus also, you know, you you could do whatever you want when you're on the train. I mean, right. not whatever you want, but you don't have to uh, be focused on what's right in front of you. Yeah. Hey, listen. There's a there's a strange little white house, and I, I'm like right across from the saloon here. Do you know what I'm talking about? A strange I do. little I do. white house across from the saloon. What yeah. is this? It's set back from the. It's right next to an H and R block. It's between the H and R block and the walkway to the LRT station, and it's just this tiny white house. Who lit? What is that? Is that uh, yeah. a residence? I don't know. I've I've been curious. Yeah, uh, it's, it's also. Have you ever been? You ever done any research on this? It's got I, a wind- yeah, I have not. I don't know if it's. You would assume it would be zoned to be commercial. Yeah, uh, it's hard to say if it's I, a house. And- yeah, someone just holding out for a great offer for. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I it, it it has struck me as curious as well, and I don't. I have no, no idea. let's see. La Piana uh, uh, Chiropractic. I don't think you've been there. I have never been there. You haven't been there. What's this place? That looks cool. Uh, oh, no. No, I don't think you've been to Facade European Skin Care Salon. <laughs> Is that true? I have never been there. Okay. Um, what's this one called? This one's called Something A Frame. Handworks in the Handworks Gallery. I don't think you've been there. Uh, yeah, I I never yeah, I, I don't creative frame it's called yeah. and the handworks guy. I don't think you've been there. No, I've never been there. No, some kind of new BS right here. What's this? Oh, PNC Bank. I bet you've been to PNC Bank. I have been to PNC Bank. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. Aladdin Eatery is that Middle Eastern food? It is. Uh, I bet you've been there once. Yeah, I once or twice. Yeah, a few times. Okay. All right. I wasn't saying much more than that. What is this one called? Oh, Salon Vivace. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I don't think you've been there, though. Yeah, they are not what I'm, they're not what I'm looking for. What's this place called? This place is called Quest Diagnostics. I don't think you've been to Quest Diagnostics. Sam has had blood work done there. Oh, has he? Oh, is he okay? He has, as you'll find out. Is a soon-to-be father. There's a lot of testing and prodding. Oh yeah, of the young people and inoculation done of young people, yeah. and it's kind of heartbreaking to hold your infant while someone jams a needle into him and extracts blood. That's why you are firmly entrenched in the no vaccine movement, from what I understand. <laughs> uh, that is not true. That's, that's <laughs> not true. <laughs> I, well, that's that's not the, the uh, indication I'm getting from your many Facebook posts, Travis Sachek. You're going on. You're always going on at length about about the uh, our, your precious bodily fluids and how this is how, this is fake news, Carson. <laughs> and I actually probably I've I don't even I don't remember the last time I actually authored a Facebook post. I will go on. And I will like a comment or a photo. And maybe track down uh, old high school classmates. Yes, yes. See what I, they're up to. I will stalk people. But mm-hmm. I don't feel the need. I don't see the utility in me posting my opinion on uh, politics or social issues. Hey, what do you um, 
Is there anyone you ever come across you're like, oh, I wonder where Dan is? You know, you say, oh, I wonder where Dan is. And then you kind of find Dan. I don't know what his name is. Yeah. Say his name is uh, Dan uh, Dan Wigglesworth. Old Danny Wigglesworth, right? <laughs> Wigglesworth. Yeah. And you say, where's Danny Wigglesworth? And then you look and you, you find out he's something important. He's like a he's like a, a beloved documentary filmmaker. He's a hotshot banker. You know, I will uh, – Wigglesworth, that must be – must be English. English yeah, wait a second. Wait a second, though. Are you more jealous of a hotshot banker or of a beloved documentarian? Uh, probably that documentarian. Yes, for me, yeah. it's not even a question. Right, yeah. Anybody can become a banker. Right. Yeah. Anyone can sell their soul. Right? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, but I would be more. I would. Uh, I would hold and esteem the uh the the film the filmmaker yeah of course you would yeah it's an artist yeah. <laughs> we, we are artists what have, what have you ever done with your life you know that's what the, right. that's what you'd ask yourself yeah but uh, yeah, that's the thing about facebook is as many have noted it really people are comparing their life situations more than mm-hmm. ever before mm-hmm. uh, and that can that can produce anxiety yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's there's a lot of unhealthy things about Facebook. And unless media. you approach it, unless you approach it with the idea that you're already a piece of junk. <laughs> you know, unless you're not trying to achieve or better your place or, or feel like you should be in a better place. Yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was interesting. You, you wrote that uh, that post about uh, John Tompain. John is that how you say his name? Do you think? The umpire. I, I would. Yeah. I would think so. I had just that morning been reading. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you're familiar with Nigel Warburton. He's he's got a funny voice, a funny little accent. He's a Brit, and he is one of the hosts of Philosophy Bites, the Philosophy Bites podcast. Okay, I'm not familiar uh, with it. Yeah, he. In, in any case, uh, he had conducted an interview. This was just a a, um, a print interview uh, with a philosopher. Um, Formerly an economist, I believe, named Massimo Piliucci. Massimo Piliucci, who is a who is a um, great student and uh, of and not only a student of but a practitioner of Stoicism, the philosophy of Stoicism. And um, <clears throat> what was the, what the hell is the freaking point I'm trying to make? Massimo Piliucci. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was. Um, I guess so. Epictetus is, a, is an ancient, and um, he's probably one of the most co- cohesive voices in Stoicism, this ancient philosophy of Stoicism. And he says that <laughs> I think it's him who says it uh, that the, the one the, the one reason the reason any of us can survive is because there's always an, an open door. No matter how life, how bad life gets, there's always an open door. And do you, I mean, do you have a sense of what he means by open door, Travis? There's always an open door. There's always an open door. If you don't like what's going on in your life, there's always a way out of it. <laughs> uh, that's a nice perspective to have. Yeah. I don't know well, if it can. I don't know if it's always accurate, but I, I suppose it's often accurate. Right. So his, his basic point is that you can deal with anything because you, because in reality you don't have to deal with any of it. You can, <laughs> uh, you can off yourself, you know, and um, it's hard not to. 
it is hard not to chuckle or laugh audibly uh, in regard to that sentiment because it is there's something um well there's something very ultimate about it something dark about it and at the same time uh, i think that the truth of it is what you know forces us to giggle in spite of the darkness <laughs> um but i did i had just read the or at least this interview in which Pugliucci is talking about Epictetus's theory of suicide and and how it how it always remains there for us. And then I read that about uh, the Empire, and I was wondering, I was attempting to uh, figure out how it fit in in the grand scheme. Now, of course, there are many people who who maybe uh, do not. I think I think that what Epictetus would have suggested is that you approach suicide in a like you would do anything else in a very rational way, you know. So you do not have the faculty to extract yourself from whatever position uh, you've, you know, ended up in, and therefore you have suicide. But for uh, for many people, I think I think this is probably dumb because it's obvious. Uh, uh, for many people, that perhaps uh, there are other reasons why they found their way to to that point. Yeah, that's uh, interesting perspective. Uh, dark yeah, sub dark subject material. Dark subject, dark subject. But that was an incredible story. Uh, yeah, I, that wasn't really like a traditional Fangraphs piece, right? I mean, uh, there, there's no analysis. No, uh, but I think you but start. I th- you asked some ideas. Did you know? Did you read it after I edited it? Well, I trust you. Uh-huh. With, <laughs> so I, I have not read it actually. Oh, okay. Well, I guess you can check out what it says. <laughs> um, maybe this, uh, maybe things have gone. Uh, but I often find you don't overhaul pieces. You make subtle changes. You will, yes. cle- you will clean up broken sentences. Not broken sentences, but I attempt. I think there's always an advantage to having a second pair of eyes on a piece. Oh, I know? agree. And uh, uh, if I'm ever doing anything, I'm attempting to allow you to articulate the point in the way that you intended. But sometimes when you are writing a piece, you get you, – I'm not saying you, Travis Sacek, although that's probably also true. But when one is writing, it's very easy to uh, sort of uh, get mired in it. Yes, I, th- I think it's true. I think the second set of eyes is, uh, is critical. I, th- I think it's hard to edit your own writing. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I find. It's hard. Yeah, and so so yeah. but after, after your – um. Uh, so I so here's two parts that I edited slightly. Um, on the one hand, um, you talked about you you said we rarely saw calls overturned before the advent of replay. You were talking about the decisiveness of umpires. Yes. And then I added these two sentences. As I said on the one hand that might be regarded as a product of stubbornness, um, because <laughs> because people do say that about umpires sometimes. Yes. They're obtuse. On the other, it's a sort of stubbornness that lends order to the game, and games at their heart are collections of somewhat arbitrary rules upon which everyone agrees. So the idea is that that if, if there aren't umpires, then, then the rules are not being enforced, and therefore the game doesn't exist. So you need people who are there essentially to safeguard the rules, because what they're doing by, by safeguarding the rules is they're protecting the integrity of the game. And I thought that's what Travis Otrick meant. Oh, it's a wonderful passage. What do you think? I, th- I feel like you should take credit for that. No, it's fine. Your initials should that should be italicized with, the, with CC. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With maybe. The tag. And then I added this a little bit after it. 
Because well, you were trying to say <clears throat> that uh, you said something like not all umpires might have this. Because you were trying to ride a, a difficult line. Because you're trying to take this event, which is profound in some ways, right? Yes. One human interacting with another, another like on the you know on the brink of mortality. Right. And then I, but I think you were probably conscious of the fact that you were writing this, just because it happened to someone within baseball, doesn't necessarily mean it's about baseball. And so you maybe had a bit of anxiety, Travis, about to what how. How cohesive you should make it, how thoroughly you should connect it to like baseball specific things yeah i was appreh- i was apprehensive uh, I was more apprehensive as I started to write and continue to write the piece <laughs> <laughs> and because I, I thought felt this i i had this idea or okay really crazy story uh, maybe I can make it a little fangraphy because I do think there are uh, there are qualities about anyone who makes it to a major league field that I suspect are unusual beyond physical skills. And umpires mm-hmm. are not there large because, because of physical skills. And so maybe I was making too much of a leap to say, to connect it to this umpire who po- possibly saved a life on Right. Uh, on but but your, your point is that these people maybe have some natural proclivity for yes. decisiveness. And if not that, or, or that, and in addition, they're also essentially trained to make decisions constantly. Yeah, I in would. A short be, amount of time. Yeah, I'd be a terrible umpire. I would take twenty seconds sometime to really think about, <laughs> weigh all the evidence, come up with a, feel strongly about it, and then make the strike ball or call. Or right. Whatever. So, so you're saying like there's this, the like you know it is a game on the one hand, but we are essentially like the product of how we invest our time, right? And these people spend much of their time making decisions very quickly, you know, attempting to attempting to um, reach some sort of understanding about a situation, interpret it, and then pass judgment on it in a, in a short amount of time. So that's that's some kind of training. I mean, obviously that's training to be an umpire, but but you're not going to. It's it's not like it's going to have no effect on the rest of their lives. Yeah, I. It is. It is a product of training. Uh, maybe honing some innate skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think you have to have an element of courageousness to be on a major league field, whether you are an umpire or a player. And that was my other... This was a hero- courageous act to go save this person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think to go in a very... Pup- to go in a, a big glass fishbowl where everyone's looking at you and second-guessing and criticizing everything you do yeah. Uh, I think it takes some courage to put yourself out there all the time. And there's also another level of physical courage where you have to be okay with foul tips at 100 miles an hour glancing off you as a home plate umpire or as a as a major league hitter. Uh, you have to be okay. You have to be able to be comfortable enough to know you're going to be hit several times a year uh, by a hundred, you know, a 90 plus mile an hour pitch. And it's quite uncomfortable, I imagine. Uh, and I think the fear of the ball, maybe taking this too many degrees away from the subject, but... Uh, yeah, so my, so you have to have a couple of these trained and natural innate qualities to rise to a major league playing field. Uh, and hey, as a lot of other people just walk by this person who climbed over railing on this bridge, the, right. the person who jumped into action was a major league uh, umpire. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how much to read into it, but I think there's something there. Uh, it was certainly a heroic act 
And mm-hmm. uh, I was not there for the press conference, but uh, I, Clint Hurdle, the Pirates manager, said he asked Tom Payne, uh, were there people walking by that elected not to stop as you were ho- holding on to this person? Right. Uh, and he said, yeah, quite a few. I mean, that's to me, that's really sad. Uh, not even... I, I guess that there's a bystander effect where if there's a lot of people around, uh, everyone will kind of pass off the responsibility, right? Someone else will jump in. Uh, but when he's already engaged the person and clearly could use a hand, that yeah. not everyone was immediately... Uh, some, I guess, were even taking pictures on their phones, I, I guess. that That's kind of a sad state of affairs. So, uh, But some other people did eventually help uh, Tom Payne save this person. Uh, right. Yeah, so, but yeah, sorry to get off on tangent, but no, no. But it's interesting as to why not to stop. I, I mean, mm, I'm trying to figure out. A, would a, your natural a, a instinct to have been to jump in and help the person, or would it have been to be guarded, not you know, maybe hesitate and think what is actually going on? Uh, I don't know what I would have done. I've walked across that bridge maybe a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'd like to think I'd be a hero, but I don't know if I would. Uh, I'm skeptical that I would be a, f- a first responder in that case. <laughs> right. Although, if I if I gathered, if I could understand what was happening, I might be among the latter. I, I would say, I would also say this, is that my sense of um, like, like accountability to the community has grown uh, um, exponentially in just like the last calendar year or two. It's a, well, you're a big brother. I mean, it's an admirable, admirable role. <laughs> well, uh, I, that's more a product than than a, I mean, it's more yeah than a symptom. But it's um, or it's more of a symptom than a reason, right? But I, and I, but I but I'm gonna say my guess is that. That's, that that sort of thing happens for people at different times in their lives. Um, and I know that it's happened for me certainly since moving to this town where I bought a house and where I feel I feel a bit more um, uh, yeah in, you know integrated into the community. even if I don't necessarily know everyone I see in the street, like I feel a greater stake in things. And so home ownership. You think that yeah, is the, yeah. the predominant reason? It would make sense. Yeah, you're well, a tax, homeownership. You're a taxpaying citizen there. Well, it's it's not so. It's just like you, you but it, you know, it is like you, you are. Uh, you, well, you know, there's some sense of permanence, I guess, to it, um, or not not permanence. Uh, at least, it's so annoying to sell a house and move that I that I just figure I'll be here for longer. <laughs> it mostly has to do with that. We have to pack all this up. It's right. not just. When you have an apartment, you pack it all up and you leave. If you own home, you also have to sell the house yes. and find somewhere else to live. Yes. Yeah. So, so probably just yeah, like a greater sense of responsibility of the place because if I know that um, I wanted to, I I have a stake in it remaining nice. You know. I could be going through the process of selling a house soon, so I'm not really. Yes, that, this is probably a subject for maybe a fortnight from now. We can talk. Oh yeah, you do make a fortnightly appearance on yes. the program. You know, I, uh, there's, yeah, there are I, not. I'm not looking for. I've bought. I've purchased a home. I've never sold one. Uh, and I, yeah, the 
prospect of moving is a daunting and undesirable. Wait, so one. as a as a little preview, because you've already you've just uh, spent some time enumerating the virtues of your adore you know your lovely back backyard with all the myrtle back there. Yes. Uh, would, would you think you'd be staying in Pittsburgh? <laughs> stay, stay tuned. <laughs> oh. Stay tuned, everyone. Will, will Sam remain, or will he become a a Steelers fan? Or have you uh, just made this decision since the beginning of our conversation? <laughs> you really, uh, you have me thinking now, and yes, we're going to have to leave. Uh, <laughs> now, it's not official yet, so I don't want to, I don't want to. No, no, yeah. I understand. That's fine. Yeah. Hey, is there someone uh, hitting a baseball somewhere? <laughs> well, there is. I believe down a, a couple uh, horse houses mm-hmm. down from me, uh, there is a batting cage. Wow. Yeah, a small batting cage. Is that per- perhaps uh, the next Chris Bryant? Chris Bryant, Joey Gallo are over there. there. Isn't that crazy? Two guys from the from Las Vegas were sharing the same batting cage as 11, 13 year olds. Yeah. Now they're two of the biggest, you know, power guys in the game. So, you know, the first commenter suggested, he said, he, he um, made a comment to the to the effect that it, he well, he was wondering if it might be possible that somehow Las Vegas, you know, with dry air and altitude. Right. Might encourage young players to sell out for power earlier than other places. Uh, and somehow it, the environment might be creating these types of players. Of course, uh, Bryce Harper's from that same area. I think Tommy Pham is uh, also. Yeah. Uh, it probably has maybe a very small effect. Yeah. Say you were playing baseball in a place that had six times Earth's gravity. <laughs> you probably would want to fly a ball, right? Keep the ball on the ground. I don't yeah, know. of course you would. Yeah. So environment probably plays a small... But I don't... In this case, that's probably a bit of a reach. I, they were probably... Joey Gallo's probably always stood out among his peers as a big, strong guy. Chris Bryant, too. He's big and, and, he's big and strong. Yeah, yeah, he's a big, strong And Bryant's father. I know every half the stories I've written have been about fly ball philosophy. <laughs> yeah, they have. Uh, so maybe I should grab a beer with Chris Bryant's father, who apparently was way ahead of the curve in teaching him, uh, proposing this concept. Because he, he had Brian and Gallo try to hit targets at the top of the cage, and he was all about creating loft and uh, getting the ball in the air. Why Maybe. not? Yeah. It worked. Why not? That bad, their batting cage, I guess, is still there, but now it's climate-controlled and enclosed, where when they were taking swings, it was just netting, ratty netting outdoors in some Las Vegas I know, but is it better? Is there something maybe... I mean, I, I, I mean, at some level it's not, but is there something better about that? About having the, just the ratty netting? You feel like you're... Like you're building towards something. Yeah, I don't know. You know, I, th- I thought I read something once about how the the University of Miami football program, their facilities were maybe behind some of this. This was these were the great like Willis McGahee teams of the early two thousands, mm-hmm. and their facilities were a little bit behind some of the other super programs. But that created a sense of uh, I don't know want to. Yeah, want a, to a is chip the word. on shoulder. Something like that, and maybe that the romantic narrative is that created a greater sense of. How was Willis McGee in the out. NFL? Was he good in the NFL? Oh, he was okay. Remember, he had that terrible knee injury against Ohio State in that bowl. I don't know if you follow football at all. But I vaguely remember it. 
Yeah, he was, yeah, he was going to be a great. But wait, prospect. wait, he was drafted anyway, wasn't he? He was still a first rounder, despite like destroying his knee in his last college game. Yeah. Well, it looks like he did pretty well as a pro. He yeah. rushed for a lot of yards. He had three thousand yard rushing seasons, and then another one with nine ninety. Yeah. So your our children don't need nice things. Oh no, they do <laughs> not. They will not be getting nice things. Yeah. Yeah, if my kid asks, I'd be like, well, you know, take a look at uh, Lionel Messi when he was your age. What was he doing? Now he's the best player in the world. See? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you don't need that. It's just going to add to your to your story. Let it let it drive you. you yeah, I, think, I do think there is something to that. You don't need gear. He's <laughs> a lot of kids. That's I never cared for tennis. There's a lot of gear around. Yeah, I, I was mean, not if, into that. If you have all the fancy gear and you suck, I mean, that's not a good look, right? So no, it's really bad. Let's, let's try to be really good, and then we'll worry about the gear. Yeah, yeah, be good first. Let's not be in it for the accessories. Hey, Travis Sotchik, you've hit the one-hour, 15-minute mark. I'm gassed, yeah. yeah. That's like let's, 115 uh, pitches. That's roughly, yeah, it's <laughs> roughly what we usually... No, it's not. That's... <laughs> Well, it depends what our scale is. A 60 would have to equal 100, wouldn't it? Right, I guess it's technically it would be like 75, but yeah. I get it. Yeah, you get it. You get it. This is, we're living in the future when I guess, 75 yeah. pitch counts. <laughs> okay, let's finish it. Let's be done. Let's be done. Let's be done. Let's start our weekend. Yeah, let's do it. Hey, it's a real pleasure. Why don't you stick around for one second? But in the meantime, it's a real pleasure to speak with you, Travis Sochik. I always enjoy this this conversation. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the closest we ever we can get to being around Charlie Rose's oak table. That is, that is uh, not only the prolific but also the world champion uh, Travis Sajak. Uh, I'm Carson Stuley. This has been Fangraphs Audio.